0: Uh, Welcome to our service this morning, special welcome if you're visiting us today, good to have you with us, and if you're joining us online, very big welcome to you too. A couple of things to mention at the beginning, we have our communion service this afternoon at three o'clock, and uh, next Sunday we have our remembrance service, there are some flyers in the entrance hall uh, to give out to neighbours and friends, family, Um, but do note that it starts uh, at five to eleven, so we can have our two minute silence at 11 o'clock, that is 10.55 next Sunday, instead of 11.15. Also that time is is fast approaching, Uh, Christmas is is on its way, and uh, there are the flyers now for the women's wreath-making evening, so do take those, share with them, and sign up for that in good time. We also have our new Thrive flyer out of the entrance hall, so do make use of those as well. Well let's let's read a few verses from Psalm ninety five before we sing our first song. It says this. It's a, it's a call for us to come and worship the Lord. Oh come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God. And a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. We're here to worship the living God. And uh, we're going to stand now to praise as we sing our first song, which talks about the eternity of God and how he is the ancient of days. Let's stand and sing. Verses from that psalm we began with: "O come, let us worship and bow down; let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand." Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. And but later on in that psalm, it summarizes. Uh, what God thought of uh, the Israelites as they'd been wandering through the wilderness. And he says, they are a people who go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So today, let not that be the summary of us. But today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. We can, we can come into a repeated cycle of, as we hear God's word, of being closed, of hardening our heart against it. That's not a good place to be. So, the fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your staff, and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take this even to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. And our second reading is in the next chapter, chapter 8, and we're going to read verse 16 to 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may come nat- become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Well, Matthew's going to do the children's talk now for the children, so if you're one of those, do come to the front.
1: hello. Oh, they in your way,
2: aren't they?
1: There we are. We might need them in a bit. Welcome, nice to see you. Nice to see you. There's more here than I thought there was going to be, so we're have some fun. Who's in charge? Oh no, who's in charge? Who's in charge at home, Harvey? Mm. Mum and Dad, they're in charge at home, aren't they? Yeah. Katie, who's in charge at school? The head, teacher. the head teacher's in charge so the teacher's in charge of your class and then the head teacher is in charge so mum and dad are in charge at home we've got the teachers and the head teacher in charge at school Okay. what about in the country who's in charge in the country what do you reckon the king king. I'd like to think so wouldn't he yeah we'll say the king anyone know another name for a king a president brilliant yeah so we have kings in England and we have presidents, I think, in the United States. Any other names? A priest. Oh, maybe, I don't know. I don't know any priests. But priests are in charge of the church, aren't they? Well, you have to listen when, um, when John preaches later because there's another king-type name that comes up. Okay. So, kings are in charge of the country. Okay. Who would like to be in charge? Would you like to be in charge? Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, maybe one day you'll have your own little area that you're in charge of. Okay. Now, I want to try something. It might work. It might not. I want to see if we can find out who is really in charge. Okay. So in here, I've got some water. Who likes playing with water? Yeah? Who likes going to the beach and kind of diverting the the channels into a, a pool to swim in or Rearranging the river. Yeah, I do as well. Now, there's a Bible verse about controlling water and we're going to have a look at it in a minute, but we're going to try and put it to practice first. Is anyone here willing to get their hands wet? Oh, okay. If you're willing to get your hands wet, come round the bowl. Come in, Harvey. That's it. Come and kneel round the bowl. And here and here we have some water, Okay. Wait a minute, I'm going to move this out of the way. Excellent, brilliant. I should have had two of these, shouldn't I really? Now, the thing with water, where does water always go? Where does water always go? Pardon? Pardon? down it always goes down so it starts in the mountains runs off the mountains comes into the streams rivers and where does it end up the sea the water will always go down so when you've done your engineering on the beach and you've dug your panel your your pools and your streams have you ever been able to stop the water getting to the sea no you slow it down Okay. Now, with this, there's a Bible verse, and I'm going to demonstrate it with your hand. And if you're at home, you can do this when you wash your hands, okay? There's a Bible verse that demonstrates it, that we can pour water onto our hand. Move your hands out the way a I'll do it in a minute. You can pour water onto your hand, and then you can direct it. You can turn it that way, or you can turn it that way. So you're choosing which way it goes, but actually, you haven't stopped it going down. Now, who wants the hands to go up first? Oh, so you've got to direct the water which way you want it to go. You're going that way. Change your mind. Come the other way. Ah, that's it. Now go forward. That's it. You've got to go. It. Which way are you going to go? That way? Now the other way? Now forward? If you see Jane in a minute, she'll dry your hands off. That's it. So you're changing the way the water goes. The water's going down, but you're controlling which way the water goes. you think is there really a Bible verse that talks about this? Do you think there is? Well, you're not sure, are you? Eh? Hey? So, uh that's it, that's it. You're moving the water the way that you want it to go. Again? You want to do it again. Well, perhaps when you get home, you can run your hands under the tap, run your hands under the tap, move this, and then... Would you like to have a go? No? Okay. Or well, if you see Jane, she'll draw you... Do you want to have a go? No? Fine. don't see Jane, she'll draw your hands. And let's see if we can find a Bible verse, okay, that actually talks about this. Thank you. And sit back down when you've dried your hands. And we're thinking about who's in control. And you were in control of the water, weren't you? You were directing it, either left or right. And if you changed your mind which way you wanted the water to go, when you moved your hand, you changed it, didn't you? Yeah? Well, there is a Bible verse. And Tim's going to put it up on the wall. Does anyone want to read this Bible verse out? I think, do do it nice and loudly? Go for it. Thank you, that's nicely read, well done. So the king's heart, we were talking about kings being in charge, who said that kings were in charge? And that's it, well done. And presidents, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. So just as you got the water and you moved it, you told the water which way it was going to go. So the king's heart is like that. Now what does that mean, the king's heart? So the king's very powerful, isn't he? He could do lots of nasty things if he wanted to. He could do lots of good things as well. But actually, we're being told in this verse that it's God that's moving his heart. Now, his heart, what does that mean? It means the heart in the Bible is the centre of emotions. You know, when you put your heart into it, you really want to do it. If you can't be bothered, they say, your heart's not really in it. Yeah? Yeah? You might have older brothers or sisters that have got boyfriends or girlfriends. Okay? And they're moved by their boyfriend or their girlfriend yeah, because they, they love them. So when you love something or someone, you put your energy, all your energy goes into doing it. So the king might come up with an idea. The king might be going to war with someone. And we have wars on in this world, don't we? And there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a one person that's not very nice. He's a president, I think, Vladimir Putin. He's not very nice, and he does some very horrible things. But he might be going, I'm going to get my biggest bomb and use that. And God might go, no, actually, I don't want you to use your biggest bomb. You're doing some very nasty things, but I'm not going to let you do that. And he stops him by by getting him to think that he's making the decision. But behind all these decisions, we have God moving the heart, just as you moved the water with your hand and directed it, so, if we go back to school, the teacher's in charge. Are there some people in your class that are naughty? <laughs> There's always one naughty person in the class, okay? okay? And sometimes these persons are scary, okay? And, but you have your teachers to help you. But behind it all, God is there. So you can talk to God because he's in charge of the king's heart. So that means he's in charge of all of our hearts here too. And if there's anyone who's you are concerned about at school, you can pray to God for him because you know that he's in charge of them, of their heart, and ask him to make them not so unpleasant or nasty or unnice to you. Yeah? Good. Well done for listening so well. You can go back to your, your seats.
0: Thank you, Martin. Well, today is the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church and that will take up a fair bit of our prayer time um, after our next song, which we'll sing now. And as we sing this song, it's a prayer and I think it would be good for us to be thinking of Christians around the world who, who haven't easily just walked through the door like we have this morning or don't easily hold a copy of the Bible Uh, without their lives being at risk. Uh, So let's pray for them and stand together as we sing our next song. I'm just going to read a few extracts just to help us try and identify a little bit with what our fellow Christians around the world suffer. I think it will be helpful for us. Talking of the Christian genocide across Africa, Not, not in the past, but today. Countless Christian villages have been attacked, often at night. The buildings and crops burned The people kidnapped, injured and killed unless they managed to flee. Many pastors and worship services at church buildings are also targeted. The Nigerian security forces seem unable to protect vulnerable Christian citizens in these areas of the country. And the violence shows no sign of abating. Fresh attacks are occurring almost every week. And of the Christians themselves, they say, our African brothers and sisters show great resilience, courage and faith in the face of unrelenting onslaught. And in Pakistan, a Sunday school teacher says this, I've never been exposed to such an extreme fear and mass life-threatening situation. She was describing the terrifying events of August 16th this year when a mob of extremist Muslims rampaged through the Christian area of Juranwala, in a city of Punjab, burning and looting. By the time the violence subsided, the extremists had ransacked 27 churches, as well as pastors' houses, burned to ashes, hundreds of Bibles set fire to church furniture, and carried away anything of value. The home of more than 100 Christian families were attacked, Around half of these were burned to the ground, while others were looted and vandalized, with household items smashed to pieces. We had nowhere to run. We had to run away to the fields to save our lives. Nobody was willing to provide shelter. The rioting broke out after torn pages of the Quran were found in the street and Muslim leaders blamed local Christians. It appeared as if we'd all be killed like animals, said Martha, a Christian whose home was plundered and burned. But thanks to our God who protected us, we felt hopeless, she added, as she reflected on the damage inflicted on churches and the Christian community. So we have it so easy. It's a world away from us, isn't it? Of our experience of being here this morning and living our Christian lives. So let's pray. And especially remember those around the world who live their Christian lives in this way. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, help us as we draw near to you now to pray. You are the living God and your ear is open to our prayers and to the prayers of our brothers and sisters, Christians around the world, wherever they find themselves at this time of day. We think of different countries where it is the hardest to be a Christian, the most dangerous and life-threatening places to live out the Christian faith. In North Korea, in Somalia, in Yemen, in Eritrea, in Libya, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, Afghanistan and Sudan, and another 40 countries which are also dangerous places to live as one of your children. Lord, we've had it so easy turning up here this morning and we don't want to take those things for granted, yet we often do. The ability to worship in freedom and meet together. And while some of us here have been uh, tragically bereaved or face sadness, or suffering in our lives, very few of us suffer because we've been personally targeted by others who hate us. And so Lord, we have very little understanding of that kind of suffering. But Lord, in this time of prayer, give us a heart of compassion and prayer for those who live their Christian lives very differently. We pray today for those who have been put behind bars for their Christian faith without trial. Lord, we ask that you will be with them, whether it is their first week since their arrest, whether they've been in prison for a decade or for two or three decades. Lord, we ask that you will greatly strengthen them in their place of solitude a place of torment and torture, a place of desperation and desolation. Lord, we ask that you will be with them and that their faith will be strong in the Lord. May they know that you have not forgotten them, but you are there with them. And that to have given up all to follow Christ after this short life would have been well worth it. Lord, help them to know your comfort. We pray for the freedom of those who are in such places. We thank you that the word of God is not bound by prison bars. And so we pray you'll give them courage and boldness to share the gospel where they can with others who are lost with them. Lord, we pray for those who have lost their homes. We pray for those who have lost their businesses, their income, their supply of food, those who are discriminated against, those who are seen as the lowest in their society and given their most menial tasks, those who miss out on opportunities. We pray for those who live in constant fear of their lives, the lives of not just themselves, but their wives, their family, their children. Lord, we pray for them this morning. We pray for those who are meeting in secret, in forests, in caves, underground, hidden away, whispering their prayers, whispering their hymns, whispering the reading of your word. We pray for those who haven't got your word, but just a few torn out pages to try and grasp hold of something which is banned, something which could cost them their lives if they are found with your word and Lord in our own homes we have many Bibles and many of them perhaps gathering dust Lord how different we pray that you'd bless your people we pray that you'll give them the courage of Daniel to be bold to stand up for what is right reassure them that those who honour you you will honour comfort people with the words of King David we pray that the Psalms and the expression of David's heart will be a great comfort to your people in these parts of the world Lord we pray that in the darkest places on earth that your light will brightly shine and we've seen that uh, so often through persecution you are purifying your church, weeding out those who are fake and strengthening those who are true to your word and have real faith in their hearts. Lord, encourage your people through this. Lord, bless them, we pray. We pray that you will relieve their suffering, that you'll bring peace peace in troubled places. We pray most of all that your gospel will spread throughout these dark places of the world and that your people will be strengthened and blessed. We pray that in their suffering there will be great joy in serving the Lord and living for him. Lord, we pray that many will come to faith in those parts of the world. Lord, we pray for our own nation. We have had had all the privileges uh, it's possible to have And we've thrown so many of them away. And there are ways in which our country is far darker than the most dangerous place to live as a Christian. Because we we live in a, a land which is without particular need or want. We have so much. We have so many privileges. So many freedoms. Generally, we have life so convenient and so easily We can become self-sufficient and think that we don't need the Lord. That the day of his coming is way off in the distance and we hear peace and safety when there is no peace and safety as we all face the brink of eternity in a heartbeat. And the deceitfulness of riches and pleasure of this world have blinded our eyes. We've hardened our hearts to your word. We've declared you to be outdated and irrelevant. And yet your word comes, uh, declares to us that you will come on a day when we least expect and we will be cut short, found wanton and empty before a holy God to face his anger and his wrath that we've rejected his son, hardened our hearts and in disbelief turned away from him. Lord God, as your people, wake us up to the slumber and the sleepiness we can so find ourselves in so often Lord I pray that you'll do your purifying work in our own hearts so that we will be genuine that we will be uh, trusting you that we'll be the real deal don't let any of us become a Judas Lord help us to be real in our faith serving you help us to be awake as the day the time is disappearing And the day of your return is fast approaching. Lord, help us to be faithful to you in the days in which we live. Lord, we are so thankful for the many blessings that you pour out on our lives. Lord, you are so good to us. You pour out so that our cup runs over and you are good all of the time. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, that all who put their trust in him will be forgiven will be brought into the kingdom of the living God, will be given a righteousness which they've not earned or deserve, but is a gift from your Son, Jesus. Thank you for your amazing grace. And Lord, I pray that today, if any, our hearts are hard, that you will soften them, that you will speak to them today. And that even today will be the greatest day of their lives when they have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear Son. Lord, bless this church and our efforts together to share the gospel. Lord, we pray for this week, of, for First Tuesday. We pray for First Steps. We pray for our firework night, for the men's curry evening. Lord, we want to integrate more with those who don't know you and share the good news that we have. Help those who work hard each week. Give them the energy and the strength, and above all, a heart to serve you in these different ways. Thank you for each one who gives of themselves and their time to serve you. Lord, help us to work together as a big team that we will, at the very least, be prayerful and support each other in words of encouragement in these different ways. So, Lord, bless us this morning as we hear from your word. Challenge us, change us, and bless us, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing our next song before John comes and preaches for us and it is this question Have you heard the voice of Jesus softly pleading with your heart? Let's stand and sing.
3: Well, we often hear, don't we, about, uh, these days especially, about extreme weather events. Extreme weather events is a phrase that's picked up quite a lot in the news over recent uh, years and months. Uh, Storms and floods and heat waves and fires. Um, Things often connected with, uh, with climate change, according to those that are commentating and analysing the situation, extreme weather events. Well, in the next uh, few chapters, as we carry on in this great book of Exodus, we're going to have a collection of extreme events. Extreme events. Not particularly connected with climate change, but they have a different cause. Some are related to weather, some aren't. Often they're being called the plagues, the plagues of Egypt and we're going to look at some of these extreme events in coming weeks and in some ways it's a little bit like a contest, Pharaoh is resisting God Pharaoh is the king of Egypt children, that was the word I think Martin wondered if might come out, Pharaoh is the king of Egypt and he Defies God, and it, it escalates. God, Creator, God of this world, says through uh, uh, Moses and his older brother Aaron, "Let my people go, so that they might serve me." That keeps coming up. Let my people go, and Pharaoh. A human superpower of the day says in response to what God says, no. So you have go and no occurring through these events. And often you get the phrase, Pharaoh will not listen, will not obey. He refuses to hear what God says. And it stems from his inadequate view of God. We saw that a couple of chapters ago, chapter 5. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? So we're going to find lessons in these uh, chapters about ignoring God and the situation and scene for us if we are ignoring God. Uh, We can look at it a slightly different way. Um, A few years ago it used to be said, or I heard it said quite a lot of times, um, something like when somebody was looking a bit dishevelled or uh, uh, got some bruises because something happened or something, that you, you look as though you've gone ten rounds with Mike Tyson. You look as though you've gone ten rounds with Mike Tyson. So 20 years ago or so, Mike Tyson was the great heavyweight boxer of the day, so you can replace it with somebody else today. And he uh, was a tough fighter, and it looks as though somebody had been 10 rounds with him. Well, here Pharaoh is picking a fight with God. He's taking on God. He's resisting God. And there are 10 rounds of it in these chapters in Exodus. And it all leads to God's people finally going on the terms that they need to go on. You have ten plagues, ten extreme events. Uh, The last one is going to be in chapters 11 to 13, but the ones before, the nine that come before that, have got different themes running through them, and I think we can sort of put them into groups of three, with the third one, the sixth one, the ninth one, all being much briefer, and we don't get the announcement in what's written, so as if they're grouped into three. That's the way we're going to take it as we go through. We're going to have three sets of messages on three different plagues, extreme events. So this morning we're going to look at the first three. And then we're going to look at some things to notice, some sort of standout things in what's happening uh, lessons for us to take away from looking at God's word this morning. Well, before the first encounter there is, uh, or before, before the first plague, there is the initial encounter with Pharaoh, a sort of pre-contest encounter, if you like it, I suppose a weigh-in you could call it. God demonstrates his supremacy there as Moses' staff becomes uh, a snake, And then other stars become snakes and he eats them all up, scoffs the lot. And at the first outset, before the first plague, Pharaoh is aware of something of the supremacy and power of God. But he won't listen. And so we move on to the first three extreme events. Let's take the first one, which involves water supplies. Now, you've been to London, most of you. Uh, you've done some of the bridges. Perhaps you can think of going across London Bridge or perhaps Tower Bridge or maybe the walking one, the Millennium Bridge it's called, isn't it? You imagine walking over, turning to look at the Thames because you want to get your snapshot and it's red. And you cross over to the other side and you look at the Thames going the eastwards, it's red, it's red, thick red. It's like blood. The Nile was at the centre of the life of Egypt. It was sort of seen as the source of growth and vitality. Yet this great river would, Pharaoh was warned, be turned into blood if he did not let the Israelites, God's people go and serve him but Pharaoh does not yield so Moses, he strikes the Nile and it happens, this source of life turns red I don't know if it came out well but I don't know how they produced it but there is a red stream and it, it goes red and it happens to all the other water supplies in the area of Egypt and uh, I imagine life grinds to something of a halt do you remember I don't know how long ago it was within the last year wasn't it when we, we, our water supplies ran out didn't they and we were going to other people's places for water and we were collecting bottles of water from car parks and things just sort of grind to a halt without water. You, you realise how much you value water. And so that hits Egypt. The water supplies are, are not dried up, are redded up, and can't be used. And so they happen to dig new fresh channels which don't seem to be affected in order to get some water. The whole thing went on for seven days. later in the Bible made me think of this we read of the first sign that Jesus did where he turned water into something red that was wine it was a sign of joy and pleasure and satisfaction and celebration it's a very appealing picture of what Jesus has come to do and what can be found through Jesus but here the turning of water into something is more an act of judgment. But I suppose they, they have been cruelly oppressing God's people for centuries. And we do need to keep that in mind as we go through some of these judgments and extreme events. This has a long history. And Pharaoh, as... He experiences this problem with his water supply, is unmoved and we go to a second extreme event which is frogs. We're in chapter 8 now. Now there are some strange um, traffic signs, aren't there? Road signs that you see sometimes but one of the ones that stays out as strange most to my mind is when you, you get that picture and it's just a a frog in the middle, have you seen that sign sometimes, and it 's warning you that at some times of year uh, lots of frogs can be crossing that lane or that road well i 've seen the signs i don 't know as i 've seen many frogs to warrant a sign as yet, perhaps you have, but in Egypt, there was a warning: God warns Pharaoh that this will happen, that there will be a frog problem. But there are frogs too, it's not just a warning. And there are so many and they're coming up out of the Nile and they're teeming and so if you're an Egyptian you run to your house and you get inside the door and there's still frogs inside the door. And you go up to your bedroom and there are frogs hopping around and you pull back your duvet and there are frogs under the duvet and you go into the kitchen where the food is prepared and there are frogs around and you open the oven and there are frogs and you get out your mixing bowl out of your cupboard and there are frogs and there are frogs frogs everywhere. So that Pharaoh actually pleads with Moses for it to end. He asks him to pray that God would relieve him of the situation. Should Moses pray for Pharaoh, do you think? Should he pray for Pharaoh? Should God listen and relent at all? Should he give any respite? Well, to prove that God is God, he does so, and God kindly gives respite to the request of Pharaoh, the frogs die all over the place except for in the Nile itself. They gather them up big smelly heaps of dead frogs. But the situation is relieved and what will Pharaoh do now, now that there is some relief? Now that the storm has passed, Pharaoh says no. He doesn't listen. He refuses God. And so we go on to the third extreme event. Nat. A few years ago, I remember having a a meeting in our lounge. I think it was early September, maybe late August. Um, One of our daughters had a a friend around and uh, they, they went out without properly shutting the door, so it banged wide open. The light was on, big light on in the sort of hallway and stairway the door wide open and uh, so it was daddy longlegs season and so when we come out of our meeting in the lounge later on there were there were loads of daddy longlegs gnat like creatures oh, the figure 40 has stayed in my mind I don't think it's exactly right but there, I think there's about 40 of them in our hallway and stairway well I've never really liked them since a, a child but um we wanted to get rid of them, so we avoided the sort of the newspaper route, you know. We got our cups and our cards and we went we round and we cleared the lot and we coped. Well, maybe you've had a similar experience of insects in your house. Well, of course, these experiences are just nothing, are they, compared to what happened in Egypt. An unrepentant pharaoh the, the brothers they stretch out the staff and strike the dust and the dust of the earth throughout Egypt becomes gnats. Everywhere, gnats. Around people, gnats. Around animals, gnats. Swarming. They're slapping them, they're, they're swatting them, there's a restlessness, you can't get on with anything, can you, when you're so bothered by insects all round of you. Pharaoh's key advisors, they're convinced something special is happening, but Pharaoh himself, will he listen, will he listen after third one? No, he will not. So we pause after, if you like, round three of this contest. But as well as being sort of fascinated by the events, we want to notice some things. We want to see what's standing out. What's the take-home for us? Why is it written in God's Word? Why are these historic events recorded? We'll find different things as we go through the nine or ten events as we go on. But but just for, for this time, for this morning, particularly three things that stand out. Three standouts from this morning's passages. And one is God's authority. These are a demonstration to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, to us, of God's power and authority. The Lord says, even before round one, if you like, in verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt. Pharaoh was warned as part of round 1, verse 17 of chapter 7. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand I will strike the water that is in the Nile. The three events, I don't think we need to try and work out ha- how it could happen, there's some natural explanation of you know what, how things work. They're, they're clearly acts of supernatural power. Rivers turning to blood, it's hard to explain anything other than a supernatural intervention from God. Frogs to, to that scale, dust becoming insects. A God who is authoritative, of course, over his own creation because he made it, is demonstrating his authority and his power. He's demonstrating his authority and his power over their own gods. There was an Egyptian god of the Nile, supposed god, called Happy, not quite written the way we say Happy, but that seems to be the spelling, there was an Egyptian god called Heket, goddess of fertility, fertility, who was depicted by a frog's head. And God is demonstrating through these events that he is the true God. He is supremely in control. He is in ultimate authority. God is supreme. God is the Lord. God is God. Do we recognise God's authority and power? Good question for us this morning. Or are we like Pharaoh, saying, "Who is the Lord? Yeah, what's He got to do with my life? He doesn't have any bearing on me." Do we feel any need to listen to God? Do we recognise God's authority? You know, we're pretty anti-authority as a culture these days. There's reasons for that, isn't there? In the the past, authority was sort of abused and and dealt with badly and perhaps the pendulum has swung a bit too far with anti-authority and everything. There is a place for right authority. God certainly has authority. God is God. God made us. God is our judge. Do we recognise God's authority? Do you ever think of his creative power? you ever feel that you should pay attention to what he says? Do you ever feel your smallness compared to God? you feel a sense of if God is God, then, then I should listen? These are the things that are clearly coming out, aren't they, through what we're looking at. So we have God's authority. The second thing which stands out here, in all of them actually, but we'll start to go onto it here, is Pharaoh's heart. We are, we're told a lot about Pharaoh's heart, his inner attitude, what's going on inside. In fact, about every time, every, every plague, every extreme event refers to his heart and it especially refers to the, the hardness of his heart, that is his heart was unresponsive and unyielding I've done a children's talk in the past where I've had a hard heart and a soft heart so maybe some people remember it when I've shown it, perhaps the younger ones haven't but here we've got two sort of heart shaped things. We've got a, a soft heart with some give in it. So it, it responds to what's happening and what it's being told as a, a tenderness. And uh, this one is just... it's, it's hard. There's, there's no give. Words that are said, things that happen, things that should demand a response, it's just nothing. And Pharaoh's heart, we're told, is hard, and it is put in different ways. Just want to track this. Um, sometimes it's just stated, really, as a fact. It's telling us, describing. So, in in chapter seven and verse thirteen, and the next verse, we we have that where it says still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And in the next verse, verse 14, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And it it carried on being like that, it remained like that. Verse 22 of chapter 7, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he would not listen to them. You see, it's just not giving in to the words, it's not soft and responsive Uh, what's what's your heart condition like? I'm not asking a question about your medical welfare, although I hope it's good. But when the Bible talks about our heart, our that inner attitude, our response to Him, Pharaoh's heart was hard. That's the way it's described. Unmoved by God's power and words, and authority. So, sometimes it's just stated. Sometimes it, it makes clear that Pharaoh is responsible for what's happening. So, in chapter 8 and verse 15, at the end of the second plague, but when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So he, he wanted it to be hard, happy with a hard heart. It was his evil inside of him being demonstrated in a deliberately hard heart. It was, it was his pride against God. It was his obstinacy. It was his stubbornness. It was his defiance he he hardened his heart. And and he even did it after respite. You know, he asked Moses to to pray for relief from the frogs and Moses had prayed and God in his kindness had ended the plague of frogs and once it was all over, he hardened his heart. Just worth thinking about that. You know, maybe, maybe you prayed for relief over something in your own life in a family crisis and situation and you ask God to and then at the end of it as a, as a nation as a, as a globe really I mean we, we've had a plague haven't we we've had the COVID I know we have to be a bit careful of comparing our different plagues and things now with the Egyptians plagues which had a a very specific situation but God has allowed there to be a tremendous plague like thing in the last uh, couple of years and maybe many prayed, maybe you prayed in the fear of the situation in the fear of your own personal safety but now it's gone and hard hearted So, it's, Pharaoh's heart is hard and sometimes it's just stated and sometimes it's made clear that that is Pharaoh's action and responsibility. But sometimes, and this may seem puzzling, the Lord is involved in it. And it says, the Lord hardened his heart. You notice that when you've read through. Especially as time goes on, see that more in future ones but even even it's even stated before the first plague that's going to happen you know we had it in verse 3 but I will harden Pharaoh's heart it's not the first time it's been mentioned it was in chapter 4 as well you say but that doesn't sound right you're a bit missed by it aren't you when you read that yes several times especially as you go through the plagues towards the end and in fact by the end it is the most described way of the situation that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. You say, well, what does that mean? How do I understand that? You must have thought that if you've ever read through Exodus yourself. Well, So one thing it can't mean. It can't mean that God is directly responsible for the evil attitude. James 1, verse 3, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So it doesn't mean that. what does it mean? What will help us? I think there's two things that help us to understand that. One is, it's here a matter of sovereignty. It's a matter of God's overall control. It means it was g- part of God's overall plan. God was going to allow it to happen. God was going to use it to bring good. The escalation would would lead to the to the to the letting go of God's people on His own terms, and would draw attention to God in certain ways. God is not surprised by it; He's not caught off guard by it. It's part of His purpose. It is a matter of His sovereignty. God is ultimately over all the hearts of even the kings, as we've heard this morning. So that's part of understanding, is a matter of sovereignty, God in overall sovereignty allowing this to happen as part of his purposes even though Pharaoh is responsible a second way that I think can be helpful to understand it is is a matter of, of judgment a matter of judgment God sometimes leaves people to their own sinful actions and attitudes He takes away his sort of restraining influence and he just lets them go their own way as an act of judgment. If you know other parts of the Bible, you'd have come across this elsewhere. One example is in Romans 1 where it talks about, therefore God gave them up to. He just allows them to go their own way. He takes away his restraint. It's an act of judgment. So we might puzzle over this, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. There's things we don't understand sometimes, aren't there, in relation to these things. But it is a matter of God's sovereignty and it is a matter of God's judgment. And whilst we might puzzle over it as a mystery, it is also, isn't it, a a warning might I be so defiant that God gives me over to my bad attitude that he takes away his restraint and patient um, blessing? Lord, keep me from that. Help me. Soften me. Make me repent. Leave me to my own heart's condition. The Bible makes clear that you are responsible for your own heart and the Bible says, today if you will hear his voice do not harden your heart, we had it earlier on so you have a warning on, on Fireworks Night 2023, today the 5th of November and the warning in God's word which we're reminded of by this episode is today If you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart like Pharaoh. The third standout is the magician's conclusion. There's another odd thing, isn't there, in these accounts, which is the magician's. And you noticed it before, round one, when you have the, the staff becoming a snake, you think, okay, you know, God has made um, uh, Moses' staff become a snake yeah I can understand that God's powerful but then you find out these magicians their staffs become snakes as well before they're eaten up by Moses and you think well what's going on here? and in the first two events the magicians somehow replicate it the turning of water to blood is replicated by the magicians we're told and the production of frogs is somehow, uh, replicated by the magicians who you find. Well, this is puzzling as well, isn't it? What's going on here? Is this clever illusions? <laughs> oh, I suspect perhaps you've been quite amazed by seeing the, the acts of some magicians. Well, I don't think that these are sort of party entertainers doing some clever tricks. I think it's more likely that they somehow, in the sorcery of Egypt, and the occult activity of these, you have access to some supernatural powers and they're able to do some limited things. We, we don't fully understand. But that happens in the first one, in the, in the sort of pre-bout, if you like. It happens in the first round. happens in the second round. But then we come to the third round, when we, when we come to the gnats plague. We find this in verse 18 of chapter 8. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not so there were gnats on man and beast and the magician said to Pharaoh this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So this was, the gnats thing was beyond them. They, they were sort of powerless. They couldn't copy. They couldn't do it. They realised it was something above and beyond them and you never hear of them replicating any of the others as we go on through the rest of these extreme events, and they realise it's God's handiwork. This is the finger of God. As you recognise, if you're into art, you recognise a painting, or you know who it is. You see a graffiti and you think that's a Banksy, or you see a painting and you say a matchstick Men, that's a Lowry. Okay, you you recognise whose hand has been at work and they recognise that the hand of God was at work in these events have you ever got to a point like that like these magicians realise there's something beyond you beyond your power you you look at creation you realise it's beyond you one of our daughters, Hannah, has just gone to Norway, northern Norway, and uh, the aim is to see the, the northern lights. She said they went on a northern lights trip and they didn't see any northern lights, they just saw the stars. But that's, that's not a bad star, is it really? I think she's seen the northern lights at other times. Star mate, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers the moon and stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You see the things that God has made in us, outside us, beyond us, the finger of God, humbled. Maybe look at the signs that Jesus has done. You think, well, they did, didn't they? When, when the, the waves stopped and the wind stopped, they say, who is this? finger of God a divine influence God's power maybe you've seen it in the lives of others lives change prayers answered and you say God is at work have you got to the magician's cl- conclusion so, humbled yourself as you think of the power and authority of God So we've had so far three of the extreme events, water supply, frogs and gnats. We've had three standout lessons, God's authority, Pharaoh's heart, the magician's conclusion. Next week's Remembrance. The week after that, God willing, we'll look at the next three rounds and draw out some more of the standout lessons for us. Well, one of the things we've been thinking about a lot And this is God's sovereignty and so our last song is one that reminds us and uh, worships and trusts in the sovereignty of God. Oh Father, you are sovereign in all the worlds you made. to have a high view of you and a very small view of ourselves. We're not naturally like that. We pray that you would help us, help us to understand more of your supremacy, your authority, your sovereignty. May our hearts be humbled and softened before you. May we respond in trust, yielding, obedience and love. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.